Hello and welcome to this week's Key Voices, conversations with folk in and around education. I'm Caroline Doherty and this week I'm talking to Dr Helen Edwards who is co-founder of Tapestry. Uh, Helen and I talk about the changes to early years this year, how edtech can be used in the early years environment, including some reflections on lockdown and some conversations around parental engagement. Helen also comes out with some really useful questions if you are a governor visiting the early years. So do listen out for that. And as ever, I'd just like to remind listeners that this podcast is an opportunity to open up debate and discussion around topics. The views my guests and I are about to express are not the view of the key. For in-depth authoritative articles on the latest issues in education, check out thekeysupport.com. Hello, today I'm here with Dr. Helen Edwards, who is co-founder of Tapestry. Hi, Helen. Hello, thank you for inviting me. Oh, you're very welcome. And we'll probably come into talking a little bit more about what what Tapestry is and does as we go through. But maybe you could kick off by telling us a little bit about your background and experience before we get into some questions. Of course, sure. Um, I was a perpetual student, I can freely admit. I didn't have my first job till I was 28, so I managed to do a degree, uh, a PhD, a PGCE, and then eventually got my first job say at the grand old age of 28 as a primary school teacher. Um, Really enjoyed that for a number of years. Um, And then after the birth of my second child, uh, set up my own nursery in Lewis in East Sussex, um, which was a really wonderful 10 year experience. I simultaneously then started to teach at the University of Brighton on early years courses. I was one of the first um, early years professional status um, students in the, the second cohort. And what else did I do? Local authority advisor for Foundation Sage. And finally trained to be an Ofsted inspector and was an inspector for a few years as well. So I've been deeply immersed in, in the early years and primary world for oof, probably 35 years, something like that. Fantastic stuff. And uh, obviously it's um, an, an area that has latterly had more focus some could argue the the right level of of a focus in terms of attention via via Ofsted and and other means and obviously this September the introduction of the new early years framework has has happened and we've had an up, update to development matters could you maybe give listeners who might be a bit less familiar with these documents a bit of an overview as to as to what's changed sure of course it's probably important to start with why the changes were made in the first place. So there were two really, the changes to the the statutory framework we made to firstly improve outcomes at the age of five for children at the end of reception year, particularly in early language and literacy. Um, And secondly, to reduce the excessive workloads, the unnecessary paperwork that's kind of taken hold over the last few years in the early years particularly, so that you can spend more time with the children and less time writing observations and making assessments and creating data and so on. So it was those two main reasons that the changes were initiated. Um, In terms of what those changes are, um, there are changes to the educational programmes. They are the seven areas of learning and development that form the EYFS um, that all settings and schools must follow. they haven't changed, the names haven't changed themselves, but the content has. So they're longer, they're more in more depth. There's a new focus, as I mentioned earlier, on early language and extending vocabulary. 
Um, and there are some examples included on how to embed and develop vocabulary skills across all the seven areas. So language is a real focus in, in this new revised EYFS. There have been some minor changes as well to safeguarding and welfare sections, uh, including a, a new requirement to, to promote the good oral health of children. So we're seeing settings in schools talking about teeth brushing and, and general good oral health um, processes. The two-year progress check has stayed the same, um, but there have been significant changes to the early learning goals, and they're the ones that reception teachers assess children on at the end of the reception year. So they should never be used as a curriculum. They're only to summarise the knowledge, skills, and understanding that, that children have at the end of that reception year. And as I say, they've, they've changed quite significantly. Um, and finally, the, the Development Matters has been rewritten by Dr. Julian Grenier and, and a group of other experts. Um, that's a non-statutory curriculum guidance. And whilst it's not compulsory, it, the DfE recommend that you do use it alongside the new framework to help develop your curriculum. It's easier to navigate than the old one, shorter in word length. And those age bands that, that people might have been familiar with with the old Development Matters have changed considerably. So there are now... Um, burst to three, three to four, and children in reception. So we've only got those three sections to, to consider. But more important than all of that is that there's now more room for professional judgment when you're looking at, at children and how they're making progress in their learning. You can now make much more judgments based on your knowledge of the children instead of looking at the early learning goals and matching children up at such an early stage or looking at the age bands in the old development matters framework and saying like this child fits in there um, in, or is emerging into that age group or developing in that age group, none of which really made, made an awful lot of sense. Um, but it, it kind of took a hold in early years. Everyone was ticking statements and making assessments that didn't really have very much impact, if I'm perfectly honest, on, on how children were learning and developing. So it's much less about tracking and so on and much more about developing a curriculum for your children based on the, um, the, the framework, the EYFS, um, seven areas of learning. And it sort of sounds to me in the situation that you've described there, that um, it, it, it will help those children in, in their next stage of, of schooling, that um, the teachers have had that time to get to know them and under, understand them to, to a greater degree as as sort of in individual learners rather than as you say just having a lot of ticked or unticked statements exactly that so we can now start to look at what each individual child and group of children are are interested in what their strengths are and what their next steps are without forming a kind of recipe like approach and i've ticked this statement so i'm going to teach this child the next one it's much more about the unique child you'll hear that phrase very often in the EYFS but the unique child, what their interests are, how they learn, how they choose to learn, how they make choices in the resources and the provision that you're offering. And what you can do on the shop floor, if you like, um, in terms of asking questions or suggesting things or modeling things, there's much more freedom for staff um, to make those decisions rather than sitting with a piece of paper or an iPad assessing constantly. Um, it, it gives us much more freedom to decide, as I say, on the shop floor, what language that child um, needs, needs to learn or hear, or how they could be encouraged to be more expressive in their language, how they can offer their own opinions, or 
descriptions of what they did at the weekend with granny, that kind of level. Um, I listened to a, a really interesting podcast the other day where um, a speech and language therapist was saying how important it was to decide whether in a reception class, whether you and nursery, whether you sit alongside the child and chat amiably and ask odd little questions to extend their, their speech and language, or whether you sit opposite them and how different that appears for a child and how um, it might or develop their confidence or not, depending on whether they feel they're being questioned um, to the nth degree or whether they feel that they're in a relaxed conversation. So it's those decisions, again, I'm going to say on the shop floor, yeah. that, that staff make all the time they're working with children. It's what am I going to say? How am I going to say it? Am I not going to say anything at all and just stand back and watch what this child is doing? You're making those decisions, as I say, every minute of every day you're in the classroom or nursery. Yeah, and exactly, you know, to particular to that point about, about language and getting that free-flowing conversation going, uh, unless you you know the child or have a sense of of, of what what it piques their interest or that they they can respond to or they do know about you know you, you know we all know from speaking to children of that age ourselves the difference that it that it makes if you're talking about the thing they want to talk about <laughs> versus something yeah. else that's just you know um, a cold kind of topic for them. Um, and you mentioned there, you know, a, a kind of in, increased focus on on language and vocabulary, and slightly more um, kind of stringent um, kind of uh, limits that that, that, that that children are being expected to to reach in that that early stage. I'm thinking we have we have quite a lot of governors uh, listening to the podcast. And is there anything particular that they should be looking out for when visiting the EYFS or or, or talking to staff this year to sort of understand um, the adoption of the, the new framework? Yes, absolutely. I was a governor once up until a few years ago and I was assigned um, to the nursery and reception class, which was obviously my area. Um, and I practically, and I think this still applies to governors now, um, I'd advise them to go into school as much as they possibly can. I, I know it's really hard when you've got a full-time job or you've got a family of your own to go in as much as you possibly can. Um, I used to go in to help in the classroom, sweep up the sand from the floor, wash the glue sticks, be helpful. Um, I used to go on trips, turn up to assemblies as much as I possibly could, um, which was never enough. I always felt guilty that I was never doing enough. But my advice is really to get to know the children and the feel, the ethos of the class. Make friends with the teachers and the support staff. Let them know that you're not judging them, but they're here to help. As I say, sweep up, do all those jobs. No job is out of your remit as a governor. Be helpful. And they'll thank you for it. And they'll welcome your visits into your classroom without it feeling like another inspection situation. Talk to the staff about the children which ones are accessing your curriculum with ease and which of those children need extra challenge? Are they coping really well with what you're giving and you don't want them to be bored, so you want them to be challenged and to develop their learning further? Um, which children do you have concerns about? Is it, are those concerns around settling into the classroom? Are they about language production or comprehension? Are they about expressive language? Do you have any other concerns about those children? And what's in place for the children in your class? What are you doing for those children? Those are the questions governors should be asking. You need to be a curious governor. You need to be to go in with an open mind and lots of questions in your head 
about what you're looking for. Don't look for data. <laughs> Don't ask to see tables and percentages and charts anymore. Ask really exciting questions like, um, what scientific activities do the children enjoy? Or, and what do they learn from them? Uh, what are the children's literacy skills like? Can you show me a range of children of different abilities and what you're doing to take their learning further? And then when you're in the classroom, I'd ask support staff questions as well. Like, um, uh, what do children learn in the outdoor environment? In the role play corner, what, what are you hoping to see that children are doing here? And how do you support their learning in the role play? I, and more important than all of that, I, as a governor, I would go in and I would just watch and see how the staff engage with the children. What sort of questions do they ask? What new vocabulary and information is presented to the children? Um, and, and what, what can how can children lead their own learning? What choices do they have in that classroom? Think about adult directed activities where you know the teacher, as the name would suggest, decides what the children are going to do and they're directing what they're doing. And but look more closely really at child initiated learning. What are those children choosing to do with the resources that are there, with the other children that are there, and with the adults that are there? So I bring myself back to that, be a curious governor, go in, try and learn all you can about what's happening in that classroom and how children are benefiting from, from the interactions with those staff. Yeah, those are some those are some great lines of inquiry and questions. And I I speak as a as a veteran of, of, of school visits, sometimes, particularly in the in the YFS, it can it can be quite overwhelming because mm. different activities are occurring, different children and 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 you know, you just sort of think, oh gosh, everyone's so busy. Um, but really knowing what to focus in on um mm. is 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 so important there, I think. Absolutely. And asking children what they're learning about you know can you tell me what you're doing here how did you do that and then why why have you chosen to do that get it from the children as well and then you'll you'll find out what learning is going on really going on in the classroom fantastic that's super super useful for all those eyfs link governors out there <laughs> and anyone anyone just taking a visit into schools and hopefully more people able to get in uh, to schools this year as mm -hmm. as well because it's you know it's been so hard absolutely Obviously, the you know the, the, there's been a lot of conversation about about catch up, and it has been quite focused on the the upper end of the school system and what's going to happen with exams and and this kind of thing. Um, but we but we have also heard about kind of school readiness, and that's something perennially that that kind of comes comes around. Uh, what percentage of children ready for you know reception? These kinds of things. What would you say have been the big impacts of, of the pandemic for those working in the early years and, and the children that they're working with? Yeah, and let's not forget that school readiness is, is a real, what's the word, bone of contention. In, in my opinion, um, schools should be ready for children, not the other way around. Um, and let's not forget that the reception year for the largest number of children um, is not statutory. So no child needs to be in school until they're five anyway. So there shouldn't be this immense pressure for children and their families to feel that they have to be at some stage before they're allowed through the reception doors. That's a very personal opinion, and I'm sure some people would disagree with that. But going, going back to your question, the difficulties for parents and carers of, of young children over the last year, 18 months, has really been particularly lockdown when families just did not know how to help their child learn at home that would be recommended 
from the school. Obviously, parents and carers are the, are the children's first educators, so they got their children to that stage. So my advice at that time was, you know, take it easy. Don't feel too much pressure to do lots of teaching with your young children. And of course, there was so much pressure for the parents in, in those early weeks of lockdown with you know, young children at home, often having to do their own work at home and juggling all sorts of other things. Tremendous pressure. But very soon we saw um, lots of free stuff around on social media, lots of people suggesting activities to do, Facebook posts. Um, and within a very short period of time, there was almost too much to choose from. So parents then had the pressure of sifting through all this stuff to decide what would best suit their child and their situation at home and their resources at home. Um, so we found over the, the next few weeks, we added um, a, a tapestries activities section um, in response to that. So um, there are six of us in the education group here, all ex-teachers. And we created activities and added it to Tapestry um, so that teachers could select some of those, pop them on their child on the children's learning journals, and, and parents could log in and see some suggestions of, of what the teacher would like the children to be engaged with. And that proved really popular because it was within the confines of the bit of software that they were using anyway. So it wasn't an extra thing that parents had to go off and, and search for. So that, that was a big sort of 360 degree, parents panicking because they didn't know what to do, then panicking because there was too much to sift through, and then finally settling into a nice routine with, with the software that the schools were using, whether that was Tapestry or any of the other platforms that are available, um, to, to just calm things down a little bit. Um, so the message became, don't panic, you know, play with your children, talk to them, engage with them, don't feel guilty about watching a TV programme with them, try and use it as a learning experience, ask them a couple of questions, get them to do a drawing about their favourite cartoon character or whatever. So to try and get back to the children's interest, to try and find what the children were interested in and get some learning out of it then. Matching socks came up all the time, get your child to help with the laundry, matching socks and or just simply looking out of the window and tell me what you can see out of the window. Who can you see? What's going on? That kind of, of things. So, of course, online journals became really crucial in those in those early days of the pandemic, really, as a as a recording of learning, as they'd always been, but also as a communication tool with families. So I think, again, um, that, that communication of building relationships with families who were really panicking as much as the teachers were at, at school about what's my child missing um, and of course when children did go back um, the, the crucial things that were noticed were um, children were finding it very hard to settle some of their communication language skills had slipped um, and so they, they were the things that schools had to work on initially and of course drop-offs were particularly hard even when schools did go back parents um, when we're not allowed inside so children were dropped off at the gate or there were different sorts of systems some of which would have proved quite intimidating for young children and parents and you don't have those lovely chats with the with the teachers on the you know the staff door or the, or the classroom door and however good your online system is you can never replace those quick chats at drop off and pick up times with, with the class teacher and, and support staff so that was particularly hard for, for families of young children. 
Um, but I, within a few weeks of them going back, we were hearing anecdotally that children were settling really well. They were really thrilled to be back at school, um, enjoying playing and with careful, skilled teaching, communication and language is catching up, if not has already caught up. So I think um, there were huge panics early on and you know, three months in a child who is four years of age is, is a very big chunk of their life. They've got a very long time to go in their primary school. So there's plenty of time. I don't like using that catch up word, but plenty of time mm -hmm. to learn and progress and develop. Yeah, and I think it's um, what's uh, really, really marked for me as a parent of a relatively young child is that um, things that, like you say, the, the, the communication you can understand your child and what they and anticipate their wants and needs so that they don't have to be as formal in their communication as to, to, to what they want. So you can you can work together in that mode. And then when they're in a, you know, a more formal setting with somebody who doesn't, who, you know, can't anticipate what they're going to want or need next, it, you know, it, it challenges them um, in, a, in a different way. And I think, it, you know, I so hard to, to replicate um being out of your home environment at a time when it just wasn't possible for for children to to be somewhere else um yeah. and you know that that must be particularly difficult for those children who were in the in that first year and and also the um you know this this summer's transition activities um mm. have been disrupted by covid so it must you know i can imagine um parents going into this september being concerned um about, about some of that yeah, absolutely. I mean, certainly over the last year, 18 months, EdTech has really come into its own. <laughs> if you could create an environment where EdTech would thrive, it's been it's been the pandemic, really. And when I'm thinking back to March of last year, when schools were told to close on that Friday, we thought, oh, right, all, all our customers are going to be closing. So is Tapestry just going to go through the, through the floor next week? Um, because teachers would no longer be recording observations. But what actually happened was the, was the complete reverse, really. Um, teachers became so inventive. They used our platform in, in ways that we would never have, have thought. Um, perhaps the, the, the first thing that happened, if I remember correctly, was uh, our video length is usually two to three minutes per observation, which is quite long enough to to record a child uh, performing an activity or engaged in some sort of play that you want to share with, with the family. But teachers wanted to read a whole storybook online, you know, record it, add it to the children's learning journal. So they needed you know, a, a good five or 10 minutes of video. So we um, extended that in the first couple of weeks of lockdown. So then we were hearing how wonderful all the teachers were about performing puppet shows and song and dance acts and introducing new songs to the children and just being BBC children's TV presenters really in those 10 minute video windows, uploading it to the children's journals and then families would log in at home and it was almost as if you were in the room with the teacher. So that really helped a lot. And I say all credit to the teachers and practitioners who came up with all sorts of weird and wonderful ideas of how to use technology in, the, in those lockdown months. Um, we also added things like documents and memos so that settings could quickly give parents the information they need. I, I don't know if you remember, but very often new rules and regulations came out on a Friday night. And so schools and nurseries had to quickly change over the weekend something on their provision or their um how they were uh, giving out information 
And so it was very obvious to us that settings needed within their whatever platform they were using a quick way of letting parents know what was going on, whether that be a change to policy or drop-offs or educational, anything to do with that. So we quickly added those kind of features. So as I say, the last year, 18 months has just, have just been uh, a whirlwind for ed tech providers. And we're constantly thinking, what else can we do? What else can we do to support staff? Now they're back, what, what are they going to continue using? And what, what do they no longer need, but they want new stuff added to, to the platforms that they're using? I don't think video is going away anywhere. We did a, a survey early on this year, um, and that found that before the pandemic, only around 9% of, of settings used, used rec recorded video messages, but that's increased now to about 30% and they're continuing to use video messages. Um, so I don't think that's going away anywhere. Um, and of course, face-to-face -face parents evenings, I don't think many of those are going on now, they're still online. Um, and around three quarters of our respondents said that an online learning journal was a, was a crucial communication tool with families and they don't want to lose that now so um it's uh it as i say ed tech has come into its own the last little while i think the, the the video point is 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 so interesting because i think that is that re relationship that face to face connection especially with a very young child you know that that isn't necessarily going to use you know use the tb mm. using the tech but can see yeah. um you know a person that they that they love to see on a yeah. on a screen it's it's yeah. just you know absolutely i mean certainly when we launched tapestry we felt that just nurseries and preschools would be interested in it um but we quickly found out that the reception teachers would contact us and say hey i've, I've just seen our local feeder preschools using this why can't we use it? And we said, of course, there's no reason why you can't use it. The EYFS covers reception anyway. Um, so that's absolutely you know, no reason. And then over the last few years, we've, we've discovered that year one and two teachers have said exactly the same thing. So over the last three or four years, we've added Key Stage 1 and 2 curriculum. And we're delighted that many schools are using us right through the whole primary age range. Um, so the older the child gets, the more able they are to be able to log on. We have a child login feature. So they log on to Tapestry themselves and add their own work or responses um, to their journal, which then the, obviously the staff can see and their parents and relatives can see. So if grandma's in Australia and she's registered on that child's Tapestry account, she can also see what, what the child's been doing. So um, the it's an extension of the child-initiated learning that I mentioned in reception, that if children are able to take charge of their own learning, record certain things, maybe do some homework and upload it to their um, tapestry journal. Um, that, that's something that, that we're excited to see. But again, hasn't it, 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 it came from teachers, really, the suggestion that um, it would be great if children could add their own stuff. Um, so, we, so we added that um, earlier this year, too. And of course, this, this, uh, at the end of that primary period, parents then have kind of six, seven, possibly more years of the learning journal of that, of that child's development, which is a really wonderful thing to keep as a, as a parent myself, that, that kind of stuff is priceless. Um, so they're, they're, as I say, back to ed tech being incredibly useful in, in, in a variety of different ways. But of course, there's no point in using technology if it's not going to save you any time. You don't want, you know, in my view, an online journal does save time in recording 
children's learning and sharing it effectively with relatives and carers and, and even with external professionals who might be working with that child, speech and language therapists, for example. But it's only as good as how you use it. You know, you, no one wants to see teachers behind um, iPads recording stuff. Everyone wants to see teachers engaging with the children. So what you use technology for um, has, has to be effective and has to be the best use of time for that for that member of staff. Exactly so. And it's, it is so powerful when you start to think about it, you know, and obviously all of these um, you know, online Zoom performances and, and as you mm -hmm. say, this this learning journal that um wherever members of that child's family are, they can they can see and and, and understand what they're what they're doing at school. Uh, and, I, and I think what's what's also really interesting is the the sort of appetite that that the tools like like tapestry give give a parent um, for for wanting to know uh, in, information about about a child and then. Um, you know what what how that will change the way in in which schools 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 work if they're if at the early early years you're getting all of this information and color and detail and you know that the, the schools will will want to maintain that that parents involvement in their child's learning if at all possible but as you say really critical that 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 workload um is not yes distorted by by that absolutely and of course how you record children's learning and development in the early years is very different from further up in the primary school no teacher has the time <laughs> to do you know daily observations of each of the 30 children in his or her class that, that's not what it's for really um, I, I don't know if you know what floor books are but floor books are, are a popular beast in the early years it's it's basically a very large scrapbook that the teacher fills with photos and annotations and notes about the learning that's going on in the classroom. So it might feature individual children or groups of children, or it might feature, say, photos of, of different learning areas. It's a kind of diary mm. of that year in that class. Um, well, of course, you, you're back to the one item. I've got one scrapbook there on the floor that I'm trying to share with the class of 30. So that's pretty tricky. It's very difficult to share with parents. If you, even if you have a parents' evening, you've got 30 sets of parents turning up and you've got one floor book that they all want to crowd around and have a look to see what's been going on in their child's classroom. If you put that online, if you have a, the equivalent of a floor book on, on a, a, an online learning journal, um, instead of calling it a child's name, you can just call it red class or whatever the class is and put all that information in that journal and then add all your parents to that profile they can all see they can all enjoy what all the class are doing so again that's that's reducing workload not increasing it so you're not cutting out photos and sticking it into a scrapbook that few people can see you're using technology to create a similar thing that everyone can see so it's it's a no win really and, and a no-brainer rather than yeah. um yeah, I, I guess I guess what it um, makes me think of, particularly when you use that example around the, the scrapbook is the way that um, because 
obviously uh, we, we we traditionally think about you know cutting and sticking and tactile mm-hmm. things at that at that point of a child's schooling um you know is is there a concern that if 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 teachers are having to use their ipads or whatever it is or all of the time that you that you kind of you know that that maybe tech is encroaching into that that learning space too mm. early what are your thoughts there that's a really interesting question and it's all about balance obviously and what what the staff feel is appropriate for their setting i mean you can use um you can spend all your time cutting out photos and sticking in scrapbooks and that's not best use of your time and you can spend the entire day behind an ipad taking photos of children and that's not best use of your time um, you really have to work out the balance that's best for you and your children and with whatever you record has to be useful for your planning if it's not helping you decide and discuss amongst your staff what those children are learning and what they need next and what you want to share with parents, then don't record it. (laughs) There's no requirement to record any of it, really. When Ofsted come along, they're not going to ask to see any data now. They made it very, very clear. Um, We've um, conducted several podcasts ourselves with um, three significant people from Ofsted. It's Jill Jones, Phil Mins and Wendy Ratcliffe, who have all very, very clearly stated that they will not be looking at any assessment data or records of children. And if they're presented with it, they will say, no, I'm not going to look at it. So it's an entire waste of time to do it for Ofsted because they don't want it either. So it's a real decision back to um, senior leadership and staff in the classroom. What am I going to record and why am I doing it? And how much time is it going to take up? How effective it is? So I agree, it, it can take over, but it doesn't have to. And, and you know, you just have to find your own balance, really. Indeed, indeed. Um, yeah, uh, I just remember now we're talking about cutting and sticking. When I was at primary school, everything that went on the wall had to be double mounted. Yes. <laughs> Think about the hours yeah. lost to the guillotine. Absolutely. And, and um, display boards that were so high, the children couldn't even see them anyway. So then I was, I was a primary teacher for a number of years, as I mentioned, and the same, you know, the beautiful borders around all my boards that nobody looked at because they were too high. Um, yeah, I think I, I really hope that's, that's uh, not the same now as it was then. Indeed, indeed. And yeah, and we've just sort of touched on it um, there, but you're, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts more generally on, on EdTech and its application in the early years and beyond, really. Sure. Well, the, the pandemic gave us a unique opportunity to more intensively make use of, of EdTech tools in schools, really, especially those whose fundamental purpose is to, is to communicate remotely. So one immediate obvious thing that we encountered was was that the early years workforce grabbed that opportunity with both hands as I said earlier on they became incredibly inventive our servers encountered hugely higher loads than we'd ever had previously I mean it was just ludicrous thousands and thousands of videos going up every minute um, which was quite shocking and um, we were a little bit worried about whether we could uh, uh, keep that up what we didn't want to do is make any extra charge to schools and settings who were in well, let's face it, dire straits most of the time. Um, so we kind of swallowed that extra storage cost and hoped that it wouldn't go on for very long. Um, so in terms of EdTech, as I say, that's, that's, not, that's not going away. Parents and educators have now been immersed in EdTech as a means of, of supplementing their children's education provision. 
But EdTech services need to be guided and steered by genuine educational expertise, really. So the emphasis in EdTech needs to be on education rather than technology. As I mentioned, you know, we're not just a software house. We've been going since 2002 when the Foundation Stage Forum, when we launched that, which was an online community and support network for everyone with a professional interest in the early years. And we've built up our educational expertise and we're recognised as that well before we launched Tapestry in 2012. So I can't emphasise that enough that software providers need to really have a body of expertise in education and they don't gain the respect of the workforce either. Um, so I mentioned the, the login feature that, that's, that's proving very popular. We're hoping that we could make, um, make it an easier version for very young children to be able to skim through their learning journals um, without being able to delete anything, obviously. <laughs> um, and so they can talk to the practitioner or to their mum and dad or their granny about what they did. And children love looking at videos of themselves and photos of themselves. They can talk about their learning. But everyone has a story to tell about picking your child up from nursery or preschool and saying, what did you do today? And they say, oh, nothing. And you just don't get that information. But if you've got it, you've got proof on your, on your online learning journal, um, your child can, is, is much more engaged and much more happy to talk about what they've been doing that day. So I think EdTech's got, got a lot to offer there. And finally, really, CPD, continuing professional development, has, um, has become a, a very hot topic over the last year, 18 months, because of course people haven't been able to attend live training events. They've all gone online, um, but also the cost of, of attending training events and, and what do you do, what opportunities do you give that member of staff who's, who's attended a training session to um, disseminate what he or she's learned to the rest of the staff? There's no time, there's no money. It's, it's a really difficult, situation and I think EdTech has, has got some answers there really I think certainly from our point of view um, on Tapestry we have a, a reflections area so that staff can review their provision have professional discussions with their colleagues um, senior leadership can audit different aspects of the setting and make suggestions and everyone can chip in and can link photos and videos and readings and YouTube sessions and podcasts that you've listened to so as a, as a collective staff, you can have those, those professional dialogues without physically setting aside a time in, in the staff room after work. And, and of course, as we all know, nurseries are open from eight till six, many of them. So there is no time for staff to have those kind of very, very important professional discussions. So as I say, EdTech ed can, can really offer a lot there. I think there's, there's a big future in, in CPD and encouraging reflective practice um, amongst staff, being able to capture practical working examples using notes and rich media. You know, that I, I've recorded my role play area. These are the children that, that used it this morning. They were really inventive. They did this. What do you think? I'd welcome some feedback. And then your, your colleagues could offer you feedback, make suggestions for changing it or adding to it or mm. whatever. It's, it's a very exciting use of, of ed tech that is only just, just happening, I think, in our view. Yeah, and as you say, the kind of the importance of 
of, of video and rich rich media there, particularly um, at, mm-hmm. at the early years stage, because you you, you know you're not necessarily going to have and this is the children's written work off the end of it, and can you yeah. you know it, it's it's harder if you're not physically there to observing to to understand. So um, yeah, and is is there obviously I've I've asked another question there about about future trends. Is there anything more that you you don't want to add to that, or am I kind of just going over this? Um, I think continuing the, the the CPD, the continuing professional development, really. So not only having a, an online space to make professional discussions more easy, but to actually find where where training suitable training is for your staff. And once you've identified that, so for example, a, a couple of your staff members could do with some extra help with with early maths, for example. Where do they go for that training? There's there's so much out there much of which is very expensive. And you know, I go back to budgets being incredibly tight at the moment. Um, how do you get free stuff, basically? Um, YouTube, uh, social media, Twitter, there's all sorts of stuff out there, but you have to really wade through it. I think um, any free or very low cost CPD courses um, are gonna be very sought after. We're, we're launching something later in the year for our tapestry users that there'll be free courses available with, within the tapestry platform so that senior leaders can, can identify which staff perhaps would benefit from, from some courses. And therefore back to the reflections area where you can discuss, you know, I've done this course, really enjoyed it, thought this, that and the other, what do you guys think? And to share it all within the same platform. I think that there's, there's lots of work needed there, both, both with us at Tapestry and with other platforms as well, um, could be could be developing those kind of systems. And is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners before we close? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think we've covered all sorts of things. It, it's a it's a very exciting time in early years. I think my experience of working in early years, as I say, for well over thirty years, has been that staff are incredibly motivated and incredibly resilient. And there have been many, many changes over the years in early years, probably more so than in any other phase or sector in education. And we very often just welcome all the new stuff with open arms, adapt our provision accordingly, and just get on with the job because it sounds very cliched, but we work in early years because we really love working with young children and their families. And there's a, a very special buzz about early years and that um, positivity and, okay, bring it on. What are we doing now uh, is rife, in my opinion. Uh, indeed. And I feel like when I, often when I go and visit schools with head teachers, they kind of say, and yeah, when I, when I need to feel better about, <laughs> about things, I go down yeah. to the early years. Yeah, exactly um, <laughs> that. And it's a question you mentioned earlier on about you know, someone who might not be used to reception will go in and think good lord it's noisy the children are running around all over the place they're not learning this is utter chaos well no if you know what learning is going on in reception you would never have that opinion and equally I totally agree you know if you're feeling miserable go go into the nursery class or a preschool or a reception class and within 10 minutes the children will be coming up to you bringing stuff asking you to join in and you'll have a whale of a time. So I think back to your question about governors, if you get a choice as a governor about which year group you have, get reception or nursery. 
Indeed. Well, thank you so much, Helen, for taking the time to talk to us today. You're very welcome. And thank you very much for listening. Key Voices is produced by The Key, giving education leaders the knowledge to act. Members of The Key for School Leaders can access hundreds of articles on the latest issues in education at thekeysupport.com. And please tell us what you think of the podcast. Rate, review and subscribe or email me at caroline.doherty at thekeysupport.com with your thoughts and suggestions.